the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Remember I told you that my one of my English teachers at Whitehaven High School, how she invested in me, and she saw something in me. She was trying to get me to see bigger than just trying to sleep through class. You remember me telling that story? And somebody, she was a teacher that that pushed me and wanted me to, to go deeper. She wanted me to see things from a higher level. And see, that's what we need to do sometimes. We can get stuck in the mundane day-to-day life, and we can only see right in front of us, and we get tunnel vision, and we get we become so small. And our thinking becomes so small that the devil's got us right where he wants. Yeah, they, they, they can't do anything big. They can't think past this weekend. Well, I also had a teacher in, in my senior year named Mr. Adams. And he was my electronics teacher. Now, electronics was one of those subjects that you, it was an elective, you know, and it was a three-hour course, three hours every day. And so it was a big deal. He was taking up a chunk of my senior year. And but but I was interested in electronics because I love guitar amplifiers and stuff. I thought, hey, I could learn to fix them and stuff. And I I was interested in how all that stuff works. So I went into the class thinking this might be something for me. In the first couple of weeks, Mr. Adams taught us about diodes and resistors and all these things, and I was paying pretty good attention. I said this might be something I want to go into. But then one day he came in and said, "Y'all just study from page thirty-nine, and I'll be back later." And he left and. And it was a three-hour course. He didn't come back for three hours. And, well, we were high school students. We was excited about it. We were throwing spitballs at one another and daring to act crazy like, the way we really wanted to. You know, we started, nobody's reading page 39. We're just doing what we're supposed to do, you know, be knuckleheads. And that became the norm. He, I don't know what happened in Mr. Adams' life, but he just checked out on us. And for the rest of the year, he didn't teach us anything. If he showed up, he had his head up against the chalkboard snoring, and we was, I was writing songs and stuff back then. I was writing songs in class. I was just bored. But I would, in my way of thinking, this was good. I didn't have to learn, you know. And you see kids these days, some of them have such a head on their shoulders. They know what they want to do, like Kaylee. She knows what she wants to do from the start. and She's got her life planned out. Zoe's got her life planned out. Man, I'm going to this college. And those are the kids that's going to grow up and, and they're going to take ownership of their life. They're seeing the bigger, they're seeing things from a higher perspective. They're not stuck down in a rut like, like us knucklehead White Haven kids were. We were just trying to get through the day, you know. Anyway, as a pastor, I want to be more like a Mrs. Williams to you guys. I don't want to be someone who just phones it in and just tells you a little good good story from the Bible, something easy that, you know, maybe... I want to get down in the nuts and bolts, and I want you to... And that's why we're doing this series. What's the series called? The, the Human Condition. We're taking a high-level view from outer space. We're, you know, we're really seated in, with Christ in heavenly places, the Bible tells us, positionally. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to see everything below our feet. The devil's below our feet, Positionally, we're in Christ Jesus. And if we see things from a heavenly perspective and the kingdom perspective, 
We get so much bigger on the inside. So I want to be like a Miss Williams, and I want to encourage you to keep going deeper and see things from a higher perspective and get a bigger sense of what, so that you can make decisions that will lead you to a prosperous future in the kingdom of God. Today's is the second part of this series, and I'm going to entitle it Examples. You know, God uses the Bible to give us examples. A lot of people say, oh, I, I'm a New Testament man. I don't even read the Old Testament anymore. But, but you know, the whole thing is the Bible. And I would, you know, I would encourage you to read the New Testament, especially if you're a new believer, start there. But the whole Testament, I mean, the whole Old and New Testament are the Bible. And especially it says that the Old Testament is given for our examples. We can see what to do. And as is the case most of the time, we can see what not to do. Because God doesn't pull any punches in the Bible. I don't think there's any perfect characters in there. They all show us the good, bad, and the ugly. And I think God wants us to see that because he realizes we need somebody to identify with. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, talking about, uh, I think they're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed. So he's talking about an Old Testament principle. He says, these things happen to them as examples. Say examples. Examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. How many of you feel like you're living at the end of the age? And so we look back, and that's what we've done. We've started in Genesis 1-1, and we're moving forward at a high level and looking at what has happened in the Bible and trying to make sense, see the bigger picture. Instead of the little bitty individual pieces of the puzzle, we're putting it all together real quick so that we can get a glimpse of what God is doing in the world. God writes a living story. And we know that throughout the Bible, the main character is who? Jesus. But he has another sub-character who, who has a relationship somewhat at times, with Jesus, another main character named Israel, the nation of Israel. And God uses them as an example. And you want to know how I know, because let's turn to Romans 9, and we'll see what the Apostle Paul says about Israel. I don't know why I'm talking a lot about Israel lately. But I want you to understand that Israel will always be the apple of God's eye. The covenants God made with Abraham says that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And so we need, as Christians, need to be on the side of Israel. Uh, of course, you know, we're enemies for Christ's sake right now because they don't believe He's the Messiah. But we still respect and love them for the sake of God because they are God's chosen people and God's not through with them yet. Does that make sense? In Romans 9, verse 2, see the Apostle Paul was Jewish. He was a Pharisee. He was of the highest order of the Jewish religious sect. And he says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Then he says something I, I don't know if I could say. I, just, I don't know if I could say this about my own family. I mean, this, is, this is, would be tough to even leave my lips. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Could you give up your salvation and go to hell for eternity for anybody? But that's what he says. 
See, his heart's broken because the Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They're the main character in the story, and he's the other main character, but they don't recognize who he is. He says, they are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made his covenants with them, and he gave them his law. So see, God used Israel mightily. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God. And I don't want to just blow past that point in case you've ever wondered, is Jesus God? Yes, says it right there, doesn't it? Jesus is God. He is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? You know, God promised them so much. Now that they're not believing the Messiah, has he left them adrift? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. Now what's he talking about here? For the scriptures say that Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. You remember he, he had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born of Abraham, but he was not the child of promise. And it's saying that all who have faith, children of promise, that have faith in God. See, it took faith for Abraham to believe God for Isaac. The other one was just produced by human sexuality. But this one was through faith. Isaac is the son of whom your descendants will be counted. Through Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily the children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Are we people of faith? Do we believe God? Because we, we've already discussed that Abraham believed God, and he was counted as righteous. And so we're children of the promise because we believe because of our faith. I'm going to do a real quick recap, or we won't get very far at all. But last, last Wednesday, we talked about threads being in the Bible, how it's a beautiful tapestry, right? And, and as you read through the Old Testament, you get a grip of it, and you see it from a higher level, you begin to see all these beautiful threads that begin to make sense together and paint this beautiful picture. And what do we see? Mostly that God is faithful and that we're not. <laughs> that's, that's what you see in the Bible. Um, every thread points to our need for faith in the coming Messiah. The whole... It doesn't mention Jesus' name, per se, in the Old Testament, but the whole Old Testament's just about, it's about Jesus just the same as the new one is. Anyway, God made us in His image. You know, He put us in the garden, gave us a free will, but man rebelled, sin entered, darkness engulfed the earth. Wickedness got so bad that God had to bring a flood. I'm, I'm just recapping real fast. Hang with me in case you weren't here last Wednesday. Or... And so God brought a flood. He saved eight righteous. Those eight righteous grew up. They had children. And before you know it, their children had children. And 400 years later, they were building a tower that they thought was going to go higher all the way to heaven. And they were going to exalt their throne above God's like the devil. I guess that was their intent, to be bigger than God. So even 
starting with just the righteous. You know, it, it, sin still affect, it infects mankind, even if you start it all over. The, the water of the flood could not wash away the sin. We talked about it was the blood of Jesus that does that. Anyway, after that, God finds Abraham. He cuts a, a covenant with Abraham. He finds someone that exchanges a willingness to sacrifice his son. Both of them had a willingness to sacrifice their son because Abraham was willing, God was willing, and he found a man that he could cut covenant with. Because you were willing, I, I can be willing. And now I can bring my son into the earth. And so righteousness through faith is established. That's the biggest thing. Uh, the, you know, all the other false religions and cults and so forth, they all say you got to be good enough, you got to meditate long enough, you got to point this direction when you pray, all these rules and regulations. But we're made right with God, not by how we behave and not how we uh, uh, act, but, but what we believe. All right, so Jacob, his grandson, starts out a swindler. He wrestles with God, and guess what? He won because God won. He let God take control of his life and God turned him from a swindler to a man he can cut covenant with I feel like a Jacob I spent most of my life a swindler I was a pawn shop expert you know I wheeling and dealing still do sometimes but now I let other people win sometimes you know I got a different heart about the matter but he wrestled with God and because he did uh, his ten sons and his two grandchildren they their names and and they were he, uh, God changed his name to Israel, and his ten sons and his two grandsons became the heads of the tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel. So he made a great nation out of this once swindler turned to God. Um, to make it short, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by those same brothers. He became second in all command of Egypt through God's mighty power. He saved his brothers. He forgave his brothers. And uh, like Jesus... And then he brought his brothers into Egypt to keep them safe. And, but when Joseph died and time went on, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, got scared of them. And for 400 years, God's people were in slavery. Then God raises up Moses. Through Moses, he brings the law, which Jesus would, would later fulfill. He institutes the tabernacle worship, which Jesus said, I'm building my church. And that was a picture of that. Uh, he institutes the priesthood, which Jesus is our high priest. He institutes sacrifices, which we read last week. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So those bloods of those bulls and goats were temporary covering. And it points to the picture of the lamb that would be slain, Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. Um, then we see that everything that Moses did in the wilderness was pointing to Jesus. See those threads. Um, they, they ate manna from heaven. You can imagine over two million people, they estimate it was, was walking around in the wilderness where there is no crops. Very, very little water. How do you, how do you supply for people like that? Well, God did miraculously from manna that rained down from the clouds. And the New Testament, Jesus says He is the manna from heaven. He's the true manna. He's the bread of life. And when they got thirsty and there was no water, God told Moses to strike the rock and the water came out of the rock. And we know Jesus is the rock of our salvation and He quenches our thirst. Amen? 
So everything is pointing to Jesus. They, they sent 12 spies in, only two came back with a good report. The, old, the others were complainers, murmurers, had no faith in God, and uh, they made God mad. God said, well, I swear in my wrath that none of you doubters and unbelievers will enter into my promised land. And that's true today. Even Christians who, who have enough faith to believe Jesus, but won't believe God for His promises of healing and, and health and prosperity and blessing, uh, they don't enter in to what they don't believe. You say, well, we don't get, uh, I don't believe in healing. Well, that's why you don't get healed. You get what you believe. And so we ended up last week where the people had complained so much that God got upset. I mean, really upset. God got a, you, you have to go back and read the story to see how much these people complained. And you have to go back and read the story to understand how much complaining gets on God's nerves. Because he don't like it. So if you're a complainer, you're a negative person, think about that next time before you open your mouth. God doesn't like it. He, he, sent, he sent fiery serpents among the people to bite the complainers. He was killing them off. That's how much he hates complaining. And Moses interceded for the people said, God, they're all going to die. They're a bunch of complainers. What are we going to do here? Help us, God. Have, have mercy on the people. And God in his mercy, he said, Moses... Put a, 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 a statue of a bronze serpent on a pole and hold it up and tell them if they'll look at that bronze serpent, then they'll be healed. And we talked about how that little piece of the puzzle didn't make any sense until you read in the New Testament that that snake was representative of Jesus. If you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, you have faith in Him, you'll be saved. But you say, why? Why would Jesus be represented by a snake? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. All the sin of mankind was put on him on that cross, on that pole where he was lifted up. And if you'll look to the cross, there'll be salvation for all who keep their eyes there and all who believe. Amen? So that's where we ended last week. Let's continue on. So now... This is all going on in the wilderness. I've kind of got some of it out of order or whatever, just for sake of uh, telling the story. But they're, aim they're wandering aimlessly for 40 years in the wilderness. All these people. It's an 11-day journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But no, it takes them 40 years. And I want you to know, if you're going to be a murmurer and a complainer and you're not going to believe God, you're just going to wander out in the wilderness. You're never going to enter into the promises. You've got to stop complaining. You've got to start trusting. Now, I know, and I can tell you that I know because I lived 32 years of my life out in the wilderness. And I regret every moment. It was only when I started getting, you know, even once I got saved, it was only five years ago that I stopped complaining at my last job. <laughs> You know, and I couldn't enter into the promise of this job that God wanted to move me into until I got my heart right about the job I had before. So God is still dealing with Christians about their attitudes. That's for free. I'm, I hope you don't think I'm fussing at you tonight, but I'm trying to teach some principles that will help you. So the complainers after 40 years have all died off. And they're... I, he said back then, you know, when he said they couldn't come in, he said everybody over 20 years old, people that should have known better than complain and doubt God, would not enter in. But the ones under 20, you know, they recovered because of their 
youth, didn't, didn't know how to make right decisions yet, hadn't given, been given a chance. Well, anyway, they have grown up now, and all the older ones, the complainers, have died off, oddly, except two. And do you know who those two were? Joshua and Caleb, the two that had come back with a good report. God gave them long life. They didn't die off. And in fact, Joshua had now become Moses' right-hand man. Well, the complainers die off, and God says, okay, it's time to enter into the promised land. And they go up to the Jordan. And Moses is right there. And he's been with these knuckleheads for 40 years out there in the wilderness. And I imagine by now he's ready to go in. And God says, hold on, Moses. You're not going. It's time for you to die. And that seemed harsh to me. I said, I was thinking, well, God, why didn't Moses go in? And, and if you study it out, it says Moses didn't go in because that time where he struck the rock, God told him to, to touch the, the staff against the rock, but Moses struck the rock twice. Well, big deal. I mean, he struck the rock. What's the big deal? He still did the miracle. All the good that Moses did and all that, you think, God, you're being kind of hard on Moses. But you're just seeing the one piece of the puzzle. You're just seeing the one piece. In the big picture, Moses is a representation. He is an example of the Old Testament of the law. He's the one that came down with the law from the mountain, right? So God is using him as a type shadow of the law. Now what does the law do? If you think you're going to get across the Jordan by trusting the law, it's like striking Jesus. It's dishonoring Jesus. It's meaning the blood of Jesus don't mean anything. You're striking the rock. And see, Moses had let anger make him strike that rock and be disrespectful. And then he took credit for the water coming out of the rock if you study it out. So it was pride and it was disrespectful to the one who would bring them across. Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, whose name, Hosea, or something like that, is pronounced almost identical as Jesus in the original uh, Hebrew, would be a type shadow of Jesus who would bring them across the Jordan. See, the law can never get you into the promised land. The law was designed to be your schoolmaster, to bring you to Christ who would get you across. The law may get you right up to the edge. And Moses got up to the edge and he got to look across. He, God sent him on a mountain and look into the promised land. He said, I just want to see it. Okay, Moses, you can see it, but you can't go across. The law, you can be the best person in the world. I mean, it can get you right up to the promised land, but it'll never get you across the Jordan. It will never get you into the promised land. It's only Jesus, faith, once again, not works. You see a thread throughout the Bible, faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Does any make, that make sense to you? All right. So they go into the promised land, and then they realize that if everybody hadn't just deserted and said, here y'all go, here's the keys. No, they got to fight for every inch of the promised land. The first town they come to is a town called Jericho. It's got these huge walls around it. And uh, 
Joshua was ready. God, what do we do? You know, do we build ramps and stuff? And do we shoot arrows? How, do we, how are we going to handle this? God says, I want you to march around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, I want you to shout. Okay, God. <laughs> All right, this little piece here. Let's chunk that one. And let's come up with plan B, God. But no, that's God's plan, and you know the story. They marched around, and on that seventh day, they shouted those walls down. What did we just sing? This is how I fight my battles. We shout those walls down. God goes before us in battle. We do the shouting, He does the fighting. This is how I fight my battles. And they shout those walls down. And they get a great victory. And the funny thing is, God told them before they went in, all the gold and silver in Jericho was mine. Don't touch it. It was the first city. It was another type. It was another example of the principle of the tithe. The first belongs to me. The first one. After that, all the cities that they were able to take, they were able to keep the spoils of war. But this first city, God says, the, the first fruit belongs to me. And so they, they won this beautiful victory. They were all amped up. And they, uh, they said, where do we go next? Where do we go next? And there's this little town over there called Ai. They said, oh, man, it ain't but a couple hundred or something over there. We, we don't have to send everybody. Let's get, let everybody get a break. They done got a little cocky. You know, they done won one whole town. And uh, so they send like 3,000 men against them, you know, thinking that'd be plenty. And they got whooped. They got 36 men killed. And they got routed and sent back with their tail between their legs. And they were like, God, what have you done? God, you're going to send us out here? And they're in the promised land still complaining. And that's like us sometimes. We believe God for a miracle. We get a miracle. And we think we got the, the faith formula figured out. And the next time something doesn't happen, we just complain and complain when God says no. But guess what? God said didn't I tell you in Jericho that all the gold and silver belonged to me? And somebody in your camp has stolen from me. What? Will a man rob God? Will a man rob from the tithe? And so Joshua got mad and said, who is it? He done got 36 men killed robbing from God. And God cast lots and whatever, and they figured out who it was. It was a man named Achan. And he had put a robe and some silver and gold and stuff and hid it under his tent, thinking God wouldn't see. And uh, he got the best of him. Y'all study it out and find out what happened to Achan. But I can tell you, he's probably still Achan by now. <laughs> that was still, man, y'all left anything. I, I, I just now thought of that. I, w I wouldn't even said it if it just wouldn't have come to me. <laughs> anyway, after that, the town of Ai was no challenge for them. The other towns, they went in. It took a long period of time, you understand? They had to go in and possess the land. They had to fight for it. We're in the promised land. If you believe in Christ right now, you're in the promised land, but you've got to fight for the promises. And we fight by what we believe. And so they believed God and they took the city one after another until all the ites were driven out. 
We've been talking about the ites, right? They lived in houses they didn't build. They ate uh, food that they didn't plant. They drank from wells that they didn't dig. They ate grapes that they didn't plant. They just drove the people out and the land was already set up and it was indeed a land filled, flowing with milk and honey. It was beautiful. Many times I get up in the morning now and I'll get me an ego and put it in the toaster. And I'll, I'm, sometimes I even put real honey on it. And I get me some chocolate milk, you know, with that little rabbit thing and mix it up. Little rabbit. Nestle, that's quick. And I'm sitting there with my milk and my honey. I say, I'm in a land flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> Here comes Angie. No, I mean, that's, that's, then I say, now I'm in a land flowing with milk and honey when Angie comes in. And so they're in the promised land. And guess what happens? They were ecstatic. Everything couldn't be going better. It's what they dreamed of. It's everything that God had brought them to a place that we all long to be at. A place of safety. All their enemies feared them. Wouldn't dare attack because they knew God was for them. They're living in all the... They have all these blessings. They're at peace with their God. And everything is going good. And then they have children. And that second generation, well, they didn't know about all the battles it took to get to possess this stuff. Sort of like here in America. Maybe your children, you know, didn't have to fight as hard. We give them, a, you know, a $50 allowance when, when all I got was 50 cents, you know, back in the day or something. And they don't appreciate the things like the ones who had to fight for. And if you go down another generation, pretty soon they don't even remember who God is. They don't care about this God. And we see that happening in America. Each subsequent generation seems to care less and less about God. And so they don't care less and less about the sacrifice that it took to make our nation great. The blood that was spilled in the name of freedom. These people cared very little about everything God had done to bring them into the promised land. And a couple of generations later, guess what? They're a godless nation. They're living in a promised land that God gave them. Enjoying blessings that they didn't pay for without any thankfulness at all. And so, God says, okay, you don't want me in the schools. Oh, you don't want me in the public square. Alright. You don't want me in your nation. Oh, you don't want to be one God, nation under God? Go for it. Go for it. And then, come the enemies when they recognize that the hand of God is not upon you anymore. And so the Philistines would take over the land or the, the Midianites or whoever would come in and crush the Israelites. And then, oh then, oh yeah, wasn't there a God we're supposed to be worshiping? Then they would cry out. They would always cry out when things got bad enough. It's when things were going good, oddly enough, that people most often fall away from God. It's that sense of pride. Well, I made this happen. How many times have you seen somebody come into church and their life be all jacked up? God saves them, heals them, delivers them, gets them on the right path. They begin to make a little money and they get them a house and all that. And 
all of a sudden God's not so important anymore. And they gone. Look at your neighbor and say, they gone. They gone. <laughs> well, anyway, it won't be long they'll be back because you know why? The enemies is going to start to attack their life. They have gone out from the protection of God. They done got out there now. They're no longer under the shadow of the Almighty. They're under the shadow of darkness. And there's always bigger swindlers out there than you are. And so, when they got bad enough, they would cry out and they would say, they would cry out to the God of their fathers. Oh God, please help us. Come to our rescue. And then we enter the period that I call the period of the judges. Not judges like with the gavel, but heroes that God would send to deliver His people when they got in trouble. God would sit back and He would wait. Like it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. See, God's waiting to hear from heaven. He's waiting on God, His people to call on Him. And we need to be calling on behalf of those that ain't smart enough to be calling right now for America. There's still a remnant here. We can still call on the mercy of God before the enemies, sure enough, take over. Well, they would call and God would answer and He would send them a judge, a, a hero, somebody that He would use in a mighty way to deliver them. You might remember the names like Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, Deborah, a woman was one of them. Uh, and they would come in and through God's miraculous power, they would defeat the enemies and, and put uh, His people back on a level playing field. Has God ever sent people back into your life when maybe you were backslidden and you kind of lost your way for a while and God sent a judge, a hero into your life to talk you back into your faith and to get your life right and maybe pay some bills for you and, and show you some love? Well, that's what God would do. We are just not... I, I'm having a hard time going from a high level. I just keep getting bogged down in these stories because they're so rich. I'm sorry. We, I'm not even halfway where I wanted to get. But time is running out. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's finish up here. We'll, we'll try to finish it up next week. But during the, this time, uh, later on, many generations, this went on for many generations. If you read the book of Judges and so forth, um, there was a, a king, not a king, but a, print, a priest named Samuel. He was a really good priest. He sincerely followed the Lord. His name was Samuel. And he goes to the people, and the people say, well, we want a king. Like all those other nations, they got kings. And Samuel said, what would you do with a little old king? You got God Himself as your king. They said, no, we, we want to be like the other nations. Sounds a lot like America too, doesn't it? You got people selling our sovereignty out to the UN. But I'm trying to stay away from politics. But we want to be like all the other nations. We want to be socialists. We want to be communists. We want to be like, all, forget everything God did for us. We want to change the whole way we do everything. 
We don't want, we don't even want God. And Samuel went and told God this. Of course, God hears everything. He already knew God's feelings was just hurt. And that's another time in the Bible. Remember I told you that it broke God's heart when he looked at man, how wicked they were, and he repented that he even made them. How that broke my heart to see. This is another time. When God looked down in his own people, they had the king of kings as their king. But they wanted to trade him for a regular old man to be their king so they could be like everybody else. Maybe sometimes we do that. We have, we have the promises of God. We have so much better than the world has. But sometimes we find ourselves wanting to be like the world because it seems cool. We find ourselves compromising with the things of this world so that we can be cool. And we think, man, that's going to make that's going to give us favor in the world's sight. We can, man, even in the church, man, we can compromise some things that we'll get people to come because we're like them. And you got to be careful. Got to be careful. God needs to be the king of kings in your life. Does that make sense? It's 8 o'clock. I'm going to close. It's twice in a row that I'm, I'm obeying the Holy Spirit instead of just keep on pressing past where your attention spans are. I am learning as a pastor. That was enough, wasn't it? Are you full with the Word of God tonight? I almost want to preach more. But, but we'll, we'll wait till next week. There's, there'll be a next week. Uh, you go ahead and read up to that point, you know, from Genesis to Judges, you know, six, eight hundred pages. Y'all can knock that out by next Wednesday so we'll all be on the same page. We, we're going slow, than I, slower than I thought, but we're getting there. We're moving along and we're seeing principles and we're seeing threads of how God is good, God is merciful, He wants to bless us, and most of the time, we want to run from Him. Something in our rebellious nature as human beings, but not God's children. See, we had not got to the New Testament yet. See, something sets us apart that these Old, Old Testament characters didn't have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And we do. And now we have the power to overcome sin. Now we have something that they never had. We have God living inside of us. So, it's a shame that we even have to discuss some of these things that they did as examples in the Old Testament. But, we're living in a more, just as a vile and wicked world as they did. Maybe in some regards worse. But we're going to stand strong, aren't we? See, we're going to take these examples. We're going to look at these threads. And we're going to take these examples to heart and we're not going to let them happen in our lives. And, we, and right now, you may be on the top of the world, you're at 100%. Oh, I, there's no way I'm going to let this happen. But three years from now, th through a series of course of events that the devil may orchestrate, he may lead you out to the corner of darkness. And I'm praying right now that when you get one toe close to that darkness, you will remember the story of these examples that we saw and how 
what happened when they turned away from God and they got out from underneath His umbrella of protection, out from underneath His wings. There's one place to be. There's one way to fight your battles. And that is up next to God. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.